chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we need you today to bring forth your word and power and might. Lord, I'm just the tool, and so I pray for your anointing now to be filled afresh with your spirit. And Lord, would you guide and lead me. Give me ears to hear your spirit even as I'm preaching, Lord. And I pray for the hearts of your people that they would receive this word and God that it would go deep into their hearts and that you would bring repentance or salvation or encouragement, whatever you're working today, Lord. Your word will go out and it will accomplish all that you desire to accomplish. And so we praise you this morning, Lord, and we ask you to do a mighty work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to embarrass them. Kyle's and Shelly are back. <laughs> he didn't want me to do that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, you know, it's amazing how we as people just naturally categorize others. We put them in boxes according to the way they uh, believe what they say, and what they do. For example, if I say the word conservative or liberal, you have certain things. This is what they believe. This is how they talk. This is what they do. And it's very easy for us to do that. And we have a misunderstanding so many times or people that don't understand the Word of God think that the Word of God also categorizes people, but they use the wrong categories. They use the category God looks at people and whether they're good or they're bad. And that's really not what the Word of God does. Especially when we look in Romans, the Bible uses categories, but it's not good and bad. What it is is people are either righteous or unrighteous. Those are the two categories. That's how God puts it in His Word in the book of Romans. We could say believers or unbelievers, but in the book of Romans it's righteous or unrighteous. And today what we're going to learn is this, is that God's righteousness... His righteousness is imputed to unrighteous sinners who put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's about God's righteousness. Well, what about this book of Romans? What's the story behind it? What's the history? First of all, it was written around 57 A.D. by a guy named Paul. That was his Roman name. Saul was his Jewish name because uh, he was uh, from Corinth. And uh, he was writing from Corinth, and then he was sending this letter to the Christians in Rome. He was born of Jewish parents in Tarsus, and yet he was also a Roman citizen. We find this out later in the book of Acts, etc. And uh, yet he was a very strict Pharisee. Uh, Paul was the one who was responsible to hunt down and imprison and even put to death Christians. 
He oversaw the execution of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. He was that guy. And then on the way to hunt down additional Christians, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. And he was knocked off his horse, blinded, and through that encounter, by God's grace, received the gift of salvation. And he is the author of this book called Romans. Quite the character. Now, when we look at the Word of God, Romans is an interesting... uh, It it begins a new section of the Bible. And what that new section is, is it's called the epistles, the letters to the churches. There are 21 of them. So this is the first epistle. And uh, it, it is letters that are encouraging local churches. And that's what the purpose of Romans was, why Paul wrote to the Roman church. He did not found the Roman church, but he's writing this letter because he's hoping to visit them, and he's sending it ahead with the purpose of trying to strengthen this divided church. This church was made up of Jews and Gentiles, and there were cultural conflicts that were happening in that church that he was going to address. And there were also just false teachers that were coming in, and he was going to get ahead of the, the false teachers. So he's writing to this church of mixed, uh, a mixed group of believers in order to encourage them. Take a look. Here's God's Word. Romans chapter 1, 11 through 12. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So he was going there. Uh, he was hoping to go there eventually, but this is a letter that he sent ahead of himself through a lady named Phoebe, and she was the one who delivered it. Now, it's important to understand that this was not the first epistle that was written. It wasn't the first one, so they're not in chronological order according to the way they were written. But it is the first because this epistle is the foundational letter of the entire New Testament. Some would even go so far as to say the entire Bible. And what we find is that it is the clearest, most complete, logical, and systematic presentation of Christian doctrine and faith in all of Scripture. So how do you summarize that in one sermon, right? It is the key... The book of Romans is the key to understanding all of Scripture. It is an absolute theological masterpiece. And here is the outline. I tried to break it down into two large categories. The first one is chapters 1, verse 18 through 11, 36, justification by faith. Uh, you see there the need for salvation described in one, chapter 1 through chapter 3. Sin, that's why we need salvation. Uh, chapters 3 through 4, provision made for salvation. Justification by faith. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. God making us right with Him. want to use some terms that we can all get our heads around. Uh, chapter 5 through 8 is the result of salvation, which is freedom. And then finally, chapter 9 through 11, the scope of salvation. It's for Jew and Gentile. It was not just a a promise to the Jews. God brought it to the Gentiles. And then chapters 12 through 15, transformed life, the effects of the gospel in daily life. It's very interesting. If you turn your Bibles to chapter 12, verse 1, there's this one word. 
in chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, therefore. That's it. Therefore. In other words, all the stuff that previously is true, all this doctrine about salvation, because that's all true, therefore, here's how you respond. Here's how you live. And so that's a transformed life. We see in chapters 12, uh, 1 through 21, in relation to overall conduct, a transformed life. In 13, 1 through 7, in relation to civil authority. Chapter 13, 8 through 14, in relation to fellow man. And chapter 14 through 15, 13, is in relation to the weak brethren. And finally, 15, uh, 14 through 16, 27, just concluding remarks, instructions, and a benediction. So that's the, the general, that's the outline of the book of Romans. If you notice, chapters 1 through 11 are primarily about the doctrine of salvation. Why do people need to get saved? What, what, what is it based on? What is all this stuff going on? And we go all the way back. We see in there he's quoting about Adam. He's quoting Abraham. He's going all the way back. So we see how when we look at the Old Testament, we can understand it clearer if we look through some of the New Testament, and especially these uh, chapters here, on talking about what was going on. This is the doctrine of salvation, why people need to get saved, how God provided salvation. It's incredible. And then we see from 12 through 16 is what transformational gospel living looks like. And if I were to categorize this, I would say this. Chapters 1 through 11 show us how the gospel, what God did through Christ, destroyed the penalty or paid the penalty for sin. And then when I go through 12 through 16, I'd say, and here's the power of sin destroyed in a believer's life. That's how I would break it down. It's just a general statement. Now, um, what we see is that Chapters 1 through 4 in particular are foundational to understand the rest of the book of Romans, but Scripture in general. So what we see is this. Take a look. Here is the outline. Chapter 1. Okay. All are hopelessly trapped in sin and need rescue. That's what it says. So when you go to chapter 1, you read it. That's what you find out. Everybody is a sin. Everybody has sinned. Then you go to chapter 2. People are rescued not by trying to obey God's law. People try to be good enough. You know, that's where we, we get this idea that if my good works outweigh my bad, then I go to heaven. And go to Romans chapter 2 and I say, that's not true. Because the problem is, is that you still sin. And God doesn't weigh good. Oh, it's pretty good these days and bad these days. And if your good outweighs your bad. Remember, those aren't terms that... The, God uses in his word. It's righteous or unrighteous. And so it says, you know what? People are rescued not by trying to obey God's law. It's not about your works. You can't be good enough because the problem is you've still sinned and that sin deserves punishment. And then we go to chapter 3. God's righteous character moved him to rescue the world through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's about God. Not our works, but the work of God through Christ Jesus and how he made a way where there was no way. We couldn't be good enough. We were desperate in need of help. And by God's grace, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the laws, it says, who lived perfectly, never sinned in thought, word, or deed. He fulfilled the law, yet went to the cross and was punished brutally for the sins of all who would believe. 
And then finally, chapter 4, because of Jesus' atoning work, the Father could create a faith-based, multi-ethnic family of Abraham as his people. It wasn't just the Jews. It was the Jews and the Gentiles. And so that's what we see. It's so important because that chapter 4 lays out, okay, here's all the Old Testament and the promises that God had given. And yet it was by faith that Abraham was saved, not because of he was, born, he was a Jewish or the father of the Jewish nation. So there we go. You know, that's why I say that the Bible only really classifies or categorizes people in, in a category of righteous or unrighteous, not good and bad. And uh, it's kind of like this. The best way we could describe it is the thief in a hole and the good man on the mountaintop. Neither one can reach the stars. They all fall short. See, it's not good and bad. It's righteous and unrighteous. So it's talking about God doing a work. And the Father stands ready to rescue and redeem unrighteous sinners. That's how the Bible classifies unrighteous. We are sinners separated from God. The Father stands ready to rescue and redeem unrighteous sinners through His own righteousness imputed to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work. Take a look. God's Word again. Chapter, Romans chapter 116. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of Salvation. It's the way that people are saved. It's the, 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 all the truths that surround the gospel, who God is, who man is, what uh, God has done for us to make a way. All that is entailed in the gospel. And in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, fall, sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Fall short of God's expectations. Perfection. Without sin and thought, word, or deed. That's why I say the man in the hole or the man on the mountain, neither one can touch the stars. All have fallen short. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made right with God by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith, not works, by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Here, here's that term again. God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. Talking about Abraham. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just. You see, God is just. He is a fair judge. We don't like to hear that in today's world. We want just a loving God. God is loving, very loving, but He's also just. And He's not going to let criminals, sinners, sin without a just punishment. So God is just. He has to be, or He wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be holy. So it says here, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just. Look at this. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he is just, but he made a way. He made a way to take care of the wrath that sinners deserve. 
So he's just that the wrath is coming, and he's the justifier. He made a way that his wrath would be uh, appeased for the sin of all Christians. That's the beauty of the gospel, the glory of the gospel right there. God is just, but he's the one who provided the solution for us, the justifier. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him, the Father made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become, look at that, the righteousness of God. There's that word again, righteous, unrighteous. Over and over. That's the categories that we see in the book of Romans. Righteous and unrighteous. And Christ died for unrighteous sinners that God might impute Christ's righteousness to all who would believe so that God would be just, the sin was punished, and the justifier providing a way that there would be for sinners to be made right with God. We are not made righteous. Please hear that. We are not made righteous, but we are declared righteous. Big difference. We are declared righteous because of what Christ has done when we receive that gift of salvation. So we are declared righteous. God reckons it to us as if we live that life. We call it the great exchange here. Christ lived the perfect sinless life and thought worthy. He fulfilled the law completely. We didn't. And yet he went to the cross and was punished for sin that was not his. And so when we, by God's grace, receive the gift of salvation, this great exchange comes. And God reckons it as if we lived the life of Christ without sin. And he reckoned to Christ as if our sin was his and he punished Christ for our sin. That's what it means to reckon. We are not made righteous. We are reckoned righteous. Christ did that work for us. And that means we're justified. Big, long theological term but it means to be declared righteous, to be declared right with God, just as if we had never sinned. And that justification, that being saved, we use that term, that being saved, when when you, by God's grace, receive that gift of salvation, what happens is that you are saved immediately, you are saved completely, you are saved permanently, and it is unchangeable. You will always be saved. You won't lose it. You won't be adopted and then cast out and then adopted again and cast out. It's a permanent adoption. And what happens by God's grace when we receive this gift of salvation and we are justified or saved uh, by God's grace and mercy, there are results that happen right then. And you need to hear this. Some people need, you, you really need to hear how God views you, what, what happened when you got saved. It's important towards the end of this message. Take a look. Justification, declared righteous, results in a new status. Okay, you are now in right relationship with God and you are forgiven. All right? You have a new family. You're included in God's forever family. You have a new nature. That's a spiritual divine nature. That Adamic nature is still there. We're going to talk about that. But you have now have a new nature. You also have a new now is what I'm calling it. An opportunity for a transformed life. And I say opportunity because a lot of Christians like to, to just receive the gift of salvation and then they like to play around with sin. And they say, well, it's not all that I, I thought it would be. You know, Because you choose not to walk in a way that honors God, you suffer the consequences. So 
there's this opportunity for a transformed life, but I'm not so sure a lot of Christians really get, really dive into that. Now, if there is no transformation, you're probably not saved. But what I'm saying is, is that there is a transformed life that awaits you as you walk in obedience to the Spirit that is incredible. And all Christians should desire that, but so many times, like one, uh, I forgot who said, it said we're, we're happy with the scraps on the table, or under the table, instead of the feast on top of it. And then finally, a new future, eternity in heaven with the Lord. That's what happens the moment you, by God's grace, receive that gift of salvation. Immediately. It's incredible. And what happens is that the Christian's standing before God never changes. Okay? It never changes. Those things are true about you. But our state is constantly changing. In other words, we can have peace, okay, the peace that passes understanding, and the next day we can be anxious. We can walk in faith one day and sin the next day. We struggle with this. And so our standing never changes before God, but our state constantly changes because we have this battle going on. And I love the beauty of Romans because it deals with reality of life. Take a look. Romans chapter 117. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we shall live by faith. So walk according to God's ways. But then there's a struggle that we have. The struggle. And we see it in Romans. All of Romans 7, but I couldn't put it all down. All right? But go to Romans 7. I'll I'll tell you my main hope in this sermon right now is that you will go home and you'll say, I need to read Romans again. I've got to read through those first four chapters, if nothing else. And you get to the end of chapter four and you go, I think I'm going to keep reading a little bit more. And you, keep, you know, you did talk about Romans chapter seven. I better go over there and check that out. That's what I'm hoping. Romans chapter seven, 25 through eight, two. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. I want to honor God in my thought, word, and deeds. That's the, I want to do that. But, but, with my flesh, that Adamic nature, I serve the law of sin. I'm still sinning. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And Paul is addressing that conflict that all believers should have. I want to do what's right, but I keep sinning. Lord, help me, have mercy. And I love this. And he goes on and he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. You hear that? The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He said, Yep. You're going to struggle. The enemy's going to whisper in your ear. You're not even a believer because you're still struggling with this sin. And Paul says, yep, I understand that conflict. I have it too. You say, not Paul. Absolutely, Paul. Why do I, how can I say that with confidence? Because he was still a human. He, he was talking about it. And you know, when the enemy comes and whispers and says, you can't be a believer because you still struggle with this or that. Paul says, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus We need to get our heads around that. We need to stand on that truth. 
And the law of sin and death has been broken over you by the cross, the shed blood of Jesus. And then finally in Galatians, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Sounds pretty simple, but wow, right? I mean, you read that sentence and you go, that is my whole life battle in one sentence, right? (laughs) But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Talking again about this conflict. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What we have is this. We as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are one today, is we have these two natures. We have the old, old Adamic flesh sin nature that we're born with, is what the Word of God says. And that nature is in constant conflict with our new nature, our spiritual nature, what we call divine nature. That doesn't make us God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. But we now have a desire for the things of the Lord that we didn't before. God's doing a work in us. And these two, these two natures are in constant conflict. And the best word picture that I can give you is gravity and an airplane. Okay? Because when you hop in an airplane, gravity isn't destroyed. Right? It's still pulling down. But what happens is that gravity is rendered ineffective because of the plane in a sense. That now we can take off and go in the sky. And so we are still struggling with this sin nature, pulling us down. But yet when we are in Christ, when we are in Christ, we know sin no longer has dominion over us. That's the word picture. That yes, sin is still pulling at us. That's what Paul is talking about, like gravity. But it no longer has dominion over us because of who we are in Christ. The law of sin and death has been destroyed in your life. There's a freedom that you can have. That Christians are liberated to love God and to love others. To live a holy life. You have the opportunity to live a holy life. That transformed life I was talking about. You have the ability not to sin. It doesn't say you won't sin. But one of the lies of the enemy is you can't stop. You're you're just bound up in sin and there's no way. And so we believe that lie rather than the truth of the Word of God. And so we just give up. We just give up. We stop fighting. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. You see, brothers and sisters, the Word of God makes it very clear that when you receive the gift of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. That is the living God Himself. As I said, that doesn't make you God. Okay, just like being a, a, a car in a garage doesn't make the garage a car. Okay? He dwells within us. He empowers us to obey what He calls us to do. He enables us. And He indwells us so that we can love the law and hate sin. He is the one who does that work in us. The Holy Spirit enables us to live a life that pleases the Lord. And when the battles against sin and temptation consistently, okay, though not perfectly, 
or not permanently as long as we're in this life. But we can win the battle more than we lose it. And the scripture talks about that here in Romans. And I want to give you just some practical things as we close out this. First of all, you can have more wins when it comes to your battle with sin, that struggle on the inside, if you have a Holy Spirit-empowered, biblically-centered, offensive and defensive game plan. I took football because I was watching it. But an offensive and a defensive game plan. Do you have an offensive and a defensive game plan? A spirit-empowered, biblically-based, offensive and defensive game plan. Take a look. Here's God's Word. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. There we go. There's one tool. In Romans 13, verse 14, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's the way it feels sometimes, doesn't it? When you're struggling with sin, it feels like it's overwhelming you. It feels like it's, it's too powerful for you to resist. And the Word of God is very real. It comes right to where we live and says, No, there's an answer to this. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take, captive every, or take every thought captive to obey Christ. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And finally, Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is true, whatever, it says whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there is anything, any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we have this battle. We know this much, that Christ, when he died on the cross, broke the power of sin in our lives. But we still have the battle. And the Spirit of God dwells within us to empower us to be able to live in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ, that brings him glory and us joy, ultimately. But we have to have a game plan because this battle is lifelong. And you've got to have an offensive and a defensive game plan. And the offensive game plan is to... Choose to believe and act on what the Bible says about you. Remember when I said when you were justified, all these things are true about you? You've got to remember that. You've got to believe that. You've got to act on that. You've got to walk in those types of things. You need to be proactive. That's the offensive. How can we be proactive in winning this battle of these two natures that are at war in our, in our hearts? Well, we read and study God's Word. We start there. I mean, it's the the old story of the computer. You can't get out anything that you don't put in. Do you have the Word of God washing over you daily? Just reading God's Word. Uh, I'm going through um, uh, with four other guys. We're going through the Proverbs. We're doing a proverb a week. And it's amazing that as we go through this, how God pulls a verse out every week and 
it just stands out. And then we gather together and we talk about how, what, what did God do, what verse was it, and how it affected our lives. How, 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 what did you see happening or what do you hope would happen because this truth is now in your heart? So you can be on the offensive by opening up the Word of God daily. You're attacking uh, the struggle by washing yourself with the Word of God. Another thing, pray ahead. Pray ahead. Pray in general, but pray ahead. Well, how do you approach the day? Do you approach the day on the offensive or on the defensive? In other words, when you first get up, are you praying, God, you know everything that happens today, and I need the strength to walk in your ways all day? Or is it you just pop up, you move on with your life, grab your cup of coffee, move on, and then the first thing happens, and then by the time the end of the day is you're sitting there, you're repenting, you say, oh, God, I, you know, I didn't do this. And, you know, and it's not salvation by works. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that you're on the defensive. You're just kind of reacting after everything is done. Or are you on the offensive? I'm going to get up. I'm going to pray. God, I want to glorify your name today. I want to see your, the gospel go forward. God, give me an opportunity today to, to share the gospel. And God, give me the courage to do it. Because that's what I have to pray. Because it's easy for me to back out sometimes and just take the easy path. So be on the offensive through that. Uh, how about worship? Get up in the morning just praise God. Turn the talk radio off. Turn Bongino off or whoever it is that you're listening to. And listen to worship music. How's that for a change? Just throw it in there. Come on. Listen to worship music. Glorify God's name. You're going to be on the offensive. You're, you're taking the first step. Another one is make no provision. Don't give sin an opportunity. My son Sam and my son Andrew uh, like to lift weights, okay? So they have decided that there's going to be one day a week that they're going to eat junk food. It's going to be on Sunday when they come over to my house, <laughs> right? But then the rest of the week they don't. You know how they don't do that? They don't have junk food in their house. They make no provision for it. They make no provision. If you have a struggle with alcohol, then don't bring alcohol home. I mean, it, it, it sounds so common sense. But it's amazing so many times how we just don't think things through. Make no provision. If you struggle in a certain area, if you struggle with anxiety, what are your news feeds showing you? Do you need to change your news feeds? What do you, how do you not make provision for sin or temptation? I'll tell you what I can't do, at least not long term. I can't watch Meacham car show auctions because they're all collector's cars. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. I'd never pay that much for that car. And before you know it, I'm going, oh, man, I wish I had that car. <laughs> right? And then I'm what? I'm discontent with what God has given me. Right? If you're not looking for a house, don't go cruising through all the ads of houses that are for sale. And then get jealous because this person or that person has this or that. Make no provision for the flesh. Take it away. Strip it away. Get rid of it. And another way that we can approach on the offensive is this. Have a victor mentality, not a victim mentality. I see this in the Christian church all over. Woe is me. I'm the way I am because of fill in the blank. Because I was raised by mom and dad who didn't or did this. And you know what? Some of that's probably true. 
But the bottom line is, how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to approach it? You're going to approach life with, I am more than a conqueror because of who Christ is in me. That doesn't mean I can do all things. We were talking about this in youth group just this week. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, that's on all the MMA guys, right, you know, and they think they're going to win. It's really talking about being content in whatever happens. And so you're looking at it and you're going, okay, so if you go into this MMA match and you're claiming, you're claiming, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and you get beat, you should be celebrating that because God isn't going to enable you to handle the defeat. But you see what I'm saying? It's this attitude of, listen, I want to have a victor's attitude. I I am filled with the Spirit of God, and He is enabling me to walk today in joy, in victory, to resist sin. And I can do that by God's grace. And when I stumble and I fall, God is still loving me. But it's this attitude, instead of walking around like we're baptized in vinegar and angry about everything and mad about everything in life, and I don't have enough of this and I don't have enough of that, we need to have this attitude of, listen, I have all things I need for life and godliness. Did you know that? I can promise you that everybody in this church today has that. And you know why I can say that? Because the Bible says that. The Bible says that you have everything you need for life and godliness today. But I can't get that new car. No, you can't because you don't need it. God will take care of you. So it's this mentality that we live. And it's not It's not. Uh, you know, our thoughts over matter or anything like that, whatever Aaron Rodgers says. Um, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. Any, anyway, it, but it is, there is a sense that we need to stop, boy, I hate to use this word, whining, but walking by the power of the Spirit and saying, you know what, today, God, today. You see, that's being that's an offensive game plan. I'm going to go at this thing. I'm not going to wait for it to come at me. In the defensive side, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to take captive the thoughts that I have. I'm going to take captive those thoughts. You know, we can't let them run wild. That's a struggle that we have, to take captive the thoughts. Sometimes ter- people will use this term, I'm stewing about it. Or I'm grousing about this. In other words, we're taking that bitterness and that anger, we're letting it just circulate in us. And we're letting it just, oh, yeah. You know where I have the worst time with that? Just being real honest. When I cut the grass. I don't know why. Probably because I let these thoughts chew on me from whenever time back. So now before I cut the grass, I've got to say, God, please help me to take my thoughts captive. I don't want to be grousing and angry about things. I don't want to be bitter or unforgiving. God, help me. Because when those thoughts run wild, it just takes you down a rabbit hole. And they're already there. That's why I say this is a defensive game plan. You take those thoughts captive. You say, no, I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to allow this bitterness to stir up in my heart and me ruminating over it again and again and again. It's not honoring to God. I'm going to, by God's grace and mercy, stop this. So take your thoughts captive. Don't let them run wild. Another thing is resist temptation. Well, that's obvious, Dan. I know. So why don't we do it? Why don't I do it? We just accept it so many times. Resist the devil, and he will flee. And sometimes you need to flee 
in, it, when it, we tie it to make no provision for the flesh. Sometimes we have to flee. Repent quickly. Those are all defensive game plans. Take your thoughts captive. Resist the devil. Flee when you need to. Get out of there. And repent quickly when we do fall. And here's the good news. When you fall, the Holy Spirit will lovingly help you up. And he will remind you that you still have all of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. You see, because it comes back to the main point of this message. It's not about you. It's about God. You see, our standing before God never changes, even when we fall. And the reason is because our salvation's foundation is God's righteousness imputed to unrighteous sinners like us who put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not in our works, not in our performance, but in Christ's performance for us. And brothers and sisters, that truly is the glory of the gospel of grace. It's about God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of you this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being just God and the justifier. Thank you for the reality of your word that shows this battle between two nations, natures within us. God, we ask you now to cause us to live in a way that truly puts our delight in you more than the things of this world. God, cause us to take your word and apply it in our lives, both offensively and defensively, in such a manner, God, that we would truly live for your glory above all things. And God, when we do, our joy would be complete. And I pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.